Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Well, the Wellbeing Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We're champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Lungo, coming to your ears from NARM, Melbourne, Australia. Let's learn together. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Doing Well. And on this week's episode, we are going to talk about embracing change, how personal growth contributes to better well-being. And our guest of the day today is actually in our studio with us. Very rare that we have a guest in person. So I'm excited to talk to our guest today about the topic. Um, I'm going to get her to introduce herself a little bit, but I'm going to introduce her first. So our guest today is Bida Riazati. She is an experienced psychologist and psychoanalyst with practice rooms in Hawthorne, Melbourne. She offers treatment and psychoanalytic psychotherapy. Very big words and um, a very interesting journey as well. Vita, thank you for sharing that earlier with me. But now that we're on the podcast, I would love to get you to share your journey again, because it's very fascinating how you got here, especially to psychotherapy. You started out as a project manager, as you told me, um, and then you got into this field. So first of all, why? And second of all, how? Hello, Lou. It's also really lovely to be here and you have such a, a really lovely energy um, you shared with me while having coffee. Um, yes, um, about um, a number of years ago, over um, 10, 11 years ago, um, I reached a point in my professional career in my corporate career I've worked um, uh, I've worked um, in well my first degree was was actually multimedia the very first bachelor's right. degree I did I had no idea Which what I this, wanted basically pretty much yeah yeah that's right, right. and so um, you know um, back in um, you know 2000 2001 when I did my first uh, bachelor's degree I had no idea what I wanted to do and uh, what I wanted to do was something creative mm. something um, where I have the flexibility to produce and use um, uh, use everything at my disposal in a way however um, when I actually did my first internship it turned out that um, I wasn't uh, as good as I thought uh, in design, and I was put into these uh, project management roles from the yeah. from the beginning. So I was managing uh, uh, projects where we had developers and designers, and you would know something about that. Yeah, yeah. you're in operations, um, and uh, I also worked as a consultant in business, doing a lot of uh, data gathering, analysis, running workshops and so on. And uh, I remember really enjoying that aspect of the, the human interaction, uh, running the workshops, the groups, and uh, found that a lot of these workshops I ran, uh, say one that comes to mind with the 
uh, with the with the GPs, and I did some workshops uh, with the with the hospitals that I was working in to design and to develop their uh, their their um, online infrastructure, online um, uh, presence. Um, a lot of them felt like uh, group therapy uh, <laughs> sessions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, such that, um, you know, uh, we had to create a kind of a space where people can speak openly about their uh, their issues at work and to, and to create a, a system, a, a hospital system uh, that, um, uh, that uh, hospital users, patients could use, but also that the doctors could, could use um, and, and somehow cater to both of those needs yeah and of course there were um, management issues organizational issues as well so as somebody who was running the workshop being able to kind of uh, contain all that uh, in the in the workshop uh, and still write a report is something that I really really enjoyed Mm -hmm. doing what I didn't enjoy was uh, which is kind of ironic uh, uh, working as a project manager on these projects was the time pressure. Yeah, mm-hmm. you often have, yeah, um, you often have a kind of a solid um, uh, uh, line uh, drawn in the sand that you kind of have to uh, push the project along. Sometimes you have to, um, you know, um, have conversations with in- individual team members. Again, what I really enjoyed was the uh, the one-on-one uh, chats. And, you know, you start to realize there's a lot um, at the time. Yeah, I started to realize there's a lot that's going on in these people's lives. Yeah, somebody had um, uh, a brother that had, um, had self-harmed the night before and, uh, you know, she had to come and, um, you know, um, deliver uh, on... The digital aspects of a, of a project, yeah, and these two aspects in in this kind of contemporary lives that we live are really disconnected. This idea of um, yeah, today is about well being. Um, this this kind of idea that uh, kind of we are um, this fragmentation, this um, compartmentalization. That you know what happens at home uh, stays at home, and then you come to work, and then yes, you have to. Uh, develop this um, uh, this uh, online service for a hospital, uh, or or say, um, I also did some uh, project uh, with the Law Institute. A lot of these kind of uh, public organizations really interested me. Um, so yeah, I often found that these aspects that I really liked doing with with people and with business uh, owners was about forty uh, percent uh, of my role. And reached a point in my career where I had to step into a, a directorship kind of role, a more senior role, and I I didn't want to manage people. So um, one day uh, I experienced um, a lot of. Um, I was doing a sixty-hour week. I had traveled uh, uh, to Perth uh, and uh, to New Zealand, I think, for some projects. And um, yeah, I had to go and uh, talk to someone myself about this amount of uh, pressure that I was taking on. Yeah, what what we socially call burnout. Yeah, um, and so after a few sessions with this uh, with the psychologist who actually happened to work. 
as a uh, Lacanian uh, psychoanalyst um, in Melbourne. Uh, I, I remember uh, walking into this consulting room thinking, hey, I, I could do this. Yeah, I could do this. And um, yeah, I remember very shortly after, a couple of months after, I'm finding getting myself excited uh, mm. talking about this. It's 11 years ago. Yeah, a long time ago. Mm. Uh, so that's where uh, things kind of changed. I started uh, doing a bridging course uh, with the University of Melbourne into psychology. And then, of course, you go through the, yeah. <laughs> the process of um, deconstructing this idea that you've built of yourself, of, 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 of how to uh, conduct yourself. And that's really deconstructed, really. Um, so then I did the honours and then, of course, I did the masters and the training. Yeah. And, uh, and I went at the same time, I started my own psychoanalysis as well, which mm. um, to work as a psychoanalyst, you need further training. You need to do further training other than psychology, but you do need to have a registration in one of the clinical fields. Mm. So I, I started my own analysis and yeah. didn't, um, didn't stop when I felt better. Uh, yeah, and that's um, or when the burnout symptoms were uh, resolved, and that's the that's the difference between a kind of a commitment to, as you say, well-being uh, or self-development or transformation, but also as a psychoanalyst, uh, we have to take it um, to to an end point. Uh, yeah, and that's um, kind of subjective as well. Each each person kind of then uh, mm. can kind of tell when when that point. Uh, is yeah. um, and to to be able to work with my own unconscious in the sessions, I need to have had done my own analysis. Going, mm. which means going on the couch, several sessions in the week, mm. and yes, a big big life commitment. Yeah, yeah mm. definitely. Mm. Very interesting because I think um, I don't think I've mentioned this to you earlier, but I've been reading up on psychology so much more and lots of books by psychologists. Uh, in one of the books, it was basically about her, a therapist and her therapist. And mm. she was talking about, you know, the process of getting to become a therapist. Mm. She had to go through therapy herself. And then, you know, as a therapist, uh, you know, do, working with clients, she also then went through a period where she needed therapy for herself. And I think it's just like a continual process. And I think that's like the beauty of this field where, you know, you're, you're treating clients, you're treating patients, um, however you want to call them. And you also work on yourself, which is actually very on point with the topic because it's personal growth, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And there is two aspects too. I can't comment today on say cognitive behavioral therapy or say even other schools of psychoanalysis like object relations. I practice Lacanian psychoanalytic therapy or treatment. So it, it's not to say that other therapies are wrong or bad. This is just one that um, yeah. I've kind of done. And really, with with uh, when I talk about psychoanalysis, that's the kind of frame, theoretical frame I'm talking uh, from um, Freud and Lacan, is is actually that distinction between that you just made about your own therapy. Yes, as a psychoanalyst, uh, you need to have had your own. Uh, treatment. Yeah. We all enter as a patient 
uh, even even the best psychoanalysts out there, my my supervisors, people I've looked up to, we all enter as patients. Doesn't matter how well you are or how high functioning you are, hmm. whether you do or don't have, uh, uh, you know, a disorder. A psychoanalysis doesn't look at it that way. That it's not a normal and abnormal kind of mindset. It's not that way. It's that you go in and you start speaking and then there is something there for you to uh, to work with yeah psychoanalysis is about life it's about uh, our experience our subjective experience yeah and of course there is the treatment aspect there is psychoanalysis and psychoanalytic treatment and there are people who uh, come because there is there's an urgent problem that is that too that's not to say that uh, Psychoanalysis is not an intellectual exercise. It mm. is a treatment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I guess uh, the, the, the small distinction I'm making is you don't need to have um, to, to be to be diagnosed with one of these psychiatric disorders in order to to start uh, or, or be curious about about psychoanalysis. So this distinction between doing your own work, which is, yeah, you do your own analysis, you go on the couch, and also supervision. So um, um, I do weekly supervision Mm. uh, with a a Lacanian uh, psychoanalyst I've worked with for... Um, six, seven years now, every week uh, I go in there. Um, And the difference with other therapies from what I know is I go in there and I talk about cases. It's not about me. Mm. Yes, there is aspects of the of the case that I take that might uh, touch uh, this idea of me, uh, the touch aspects of me, um, which then I will have to think about because Mm. Um, that 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 um, we want to kind of, uh, as an analyst, uh, we want to kind of um, not um, kind of stay uh, separate, really, from that, so that the session becomes about the patients, yeah, as you say, work mm-hmm. or or transformation or their experience, yeah. So somebody might come and talk about burnout, mm. yeah, and if I have, uh, if I identify with this uh, this patient's experience of burnout and I disappear mentally in the session and I'm thinking about my own burnout and oh that's obviously not mm. what um, the session is about so uh, supervision is making sure that I continue to um, maintain my um, if I can use uh, a word here like symbolic my symbolic position as a psychoanalyst Symbolic is uh, talking to the unconscious. Yeah, it's um, a position where um, I'm not uh, beta riazati in the session. Yeah, I hold a symbolic position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you go see to see your doctor, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about myself as a doctor, but say a GP, you go to see your doctor. Yeah, you're not going to see doctor, um, doctor John. Waltz, you're going to see a doctor. You're going to see a doctor because this doctor knows something, mm-hmm. right? That's that's symbolic, yeah. That does not need to be um, explained to you. There is a there is a kind of a level of trust that you know you're gonna be in safe hands. You're gonna go there, and this person is hopefully gonna uh, say something mm-hmm. about your 
uh, about what you will describe there. Yeah, an interpretation of, of, of something. And, and hopefully that doctor, though, is going to tell you exactly what's going on. Yeah, mm. with, with psychoanalysis, it's similar up to a certain point where there is a kind of a symbolic place that, that the patient comes and attributes uh, this, uh, uh, this knowledge, uh, unconscious knowledge to the, uh, to the analyst. But it's also about the analyst's listening, how the analyst listens, how, um, how then that's worked in the session. Yeah, the analyst isn't there to, to make suggestions or give you advice, but to work to uh, work with you, to make you work with what you are saying, yeah, to, to, to direct, yeah. Not to direct what you say, but to direct and handle, um, yeah, the, um, the, the handling of the transference is really quite important. And I could keep talking and talking, but I think it will get uh, probably covered uh, as we go. But when you say your own work, yeah, that's supervision every week. I take in a case last week, I went twice because I wanted to also discuss uh, um, aspects of my method uh, and approach that became highlighted when I wrote a paper. I was working on a workshop paper last week and um, it brought out um, uh, angles or aspects that I had not seen in mm -hmm. um, in my work. So f for me, it's a continuous uh, personal growth and development is not a nine to five job that's at really good. all. Yeah, yeah. that's mm. beautiful because that's what we're here to talk about today. That's and I good. really love that spirit. That's uh, why I'm here because yeah. I'm here and you're here because we, we share a kind of a, mm -hmm. a, a an excitement or desire, a joint yeah. desire, even though it's unconscious and neither of us really knows why we're here, but but we are and we are working. I'm, I'm sure we do you know how <laughs> why we're level. here on some levels. Yeah. Some level. yeah. yeah. One day it'll make more sense. Yeah. Okay. I can tell you that. Yeah, good. Yeah. One day. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but for today, um, I know you've shared a bit about your professional journey and you know, personal growth, but we love to get to know our guests better by getting to know some of their recommendations. So this part is called Have You Met Beta? And I would love to ask you to give me some recommendations about some of the few things that we think would highlight someone's personality and a little bit about themselves. Mm -hmm. um, first thing is... My favorite thing to ask, because I love reading. What is a book you would recommend? A book? Mm. Well, um, you're asking a psychoanalyst uh, to, to, to make a recommendation. So, of course, uh, uh, I'm going to say Freud. Uh, Freud, uh, he's, he's an amazing writer. He writes very uh, descriptively. And um, you don't need to have prior knowledge um, to read some of his works. The book that uh, somehow comes to mind today is, um, and it's funny, when I looked at this question um, yesterday at home, I had, a, I had a different book in mind. And mm. today, somehow, maybe it's all these associations and signifiers floating today. <laughs> that So um, I would say uh, his book on civilization and its discontents. And it, it is a book on uh, well-being in a way, on social well-being, but also on subjective well-being. Yeah, there is always a group because we are social beings. Humans are social beings. And the difference that humans have is that we are a being that uses language, yeah, 
In fact, what Jacques Lacan said and the way he formulated the unconscious, which is a little bit different from Freud, is that he said the unconscious is structured like a language. So to, to say it quite simply is that each of us um, have, have, an, have an unconscious mind um, and, and that in order to kind of get a sense of what one's um, inner experience is, is, um, is, is, is to have that deciphered, to see what is the kind of logic of your unconscious desire, the way that you go on about in your life, yeah? Mm-hmm. So the way that you use words, your meanings, the way that uh, in the gaps and in the pauses, when you pause, what does that mean? And and so on. So there, there is a kind of a poetry there. Yeah, if the analyst is listening carefully, there is a there is a poetry in the way that you uh, poetry. I'm not talking about roses and canaries and birds, but the way that you structure your words, you know, for example, why say this word and then say this word? And uh, what is it that the analyst can decipher if they listen quite closely? So that is the sort of the Lacanian approach. Freud, he looked at it a bit um, uh, differently. Um, uh, It was, uh, yeah. So going back to the book recommendation, in that book on civilization, he talks about uh, that we all live in a society. Yeah. But of course, psychoanalysis or psychoanalytic treatment is a one by one practice. Mm. You come into the session and I say to you, say everything, Mm. everything that you can possibly say today that that comes to mind right now. Yeah. Mm. Of course, if you did that out in the world, there would be absolute chaos. Yeah. We don't want you to say everything <laughs> out in society. Yeah, just imagine if you if if everyone did that. That would be interesting. It would. I think it would be interesting, yeah. Imagine be... ordering a coffee and just spilling out your whole life. <laughs> Well, yeah, and and some people uh, might do that. Yeah, sometimes sometimes I go. <laughs> some people do, yes. And you start, yes, and um, it's interesting. It's fun. It's fun to hear those conversations sometimes. It really is sometimes, yeah. and that um, can be quite uh, creative as well, and it can create that uh, social bond yeah. as well. Um, but uh, just imagine if uh, people are unhappy or that there is some kind of. Uh, if there are a lot of uh, disagreements or a lot of differences in opinion, it's one thing for me to go to my favorite shoe shop and um, uh, we are both quite passionate about shoes. And yes, I mean, I have a shoe shop in mind. Uh, I won't give the name, but I go there and she's excited to talk about her favorite shoe. And I'm there to talk about my favorite color and the shoe and oh, and the design and the designer and so on. And he's so creative and so on. So she can say everything that's on her mind about her shoes and about her experience when she's walking around in Melbourne. And it's it's a fun experience. But just imagine if in society, yeah, uh, that you go to work and I come to work and we are there to work. But you said everything that um, that came to your mind about yeah. about about me. Mm. Yeah, that there there are going to be aspects of of me as as you get to know me. I mean, right now you think I'm wonderful. But uh, as, as you know, if you were to get to know me, you will have thoughts about um, how I make you feel 
how other associations you might have, even to my clothes. Yeah, people have associations even to your earring, to your rings that you're wearing, to your watch. Um, and all of these are occurring unconscious. Yeah. And meaning is always made post mm-hmm. post event. So I'll go home, I'll sleep over it. I might even have a dream about you. Mm. Yeah. You might remind me of somebody yeah. that that I really like. And I might have a have a dream. But it's not about you per yeah. se. It's about some association that has been triggered as a result of me having had this encounter with you today. Mm. So just Very imagine yes, just imagine if we said everything. There would the if there are so many differences in society. There could be chaos. There could be war mm. if we all try to mm-hmm. uh, change each other in society. So, of course, um, one of the things culturally that I've noticed, say, for example, in Australia, because I live and practice here in Melbourne, Melbournians are, this is a big generalization, uh, but my experience is that we are quite polite mm. here. Yeah, the conversations are kept you know, often quite um, superficial. If we don't know each other, we don't discuss politics. That's the symbolic order in a way. Mm. I know what to expect when I come and order a coffee. I know that you will say, hello, how are you? You know, Uh, and you won't say something about my hair, you know, or that it's ponytail or, or, you know, judgments. Yeah. Mm. So in a way, we're keeping a kind of an order there. Yeah. Or, for example, during talks, uh, I've noticed in uh, Melbourne, the culture is that uh, you don't ask questions unless the talk is finished. Yeah. Where in some other cultures, when I've gone to congresses, say, overseas, like in Europe, uh, people are much more um, happy to have a debate or a discussion. Yeah. So it's a different kind of order there. And um, that's what, in a way, I feel Freud talks about, that there is a kind of a social order. There is the law, there is the culture Mm. that we kind of have some kind of a familiarity with that Mm -hmm. holds society together. We need each other Mm -hmm. in society. Yeah. Yeah. But the subjective experience at an individual level, how this individual experiences society is going to be completely different. You will go to your therapist and you will talk about how obnoxious you might find me. Yeah. But you will not come and say that to me directly. Right. And that's that's the thing, uh, uh, the, the separation between public and private. Hmm. So suffering, we suffer, essentially, I think, to summarize that book in we, we, we suffer because of society. Mm, very but, interesting. But do we suffer because of society? Because if there was no society, I couldn't enjoy this conversation here with you right now. Mm, very mm. interesting recommendation. OK, <laughs> what about a movie? Movie. Um, um, movie, my movie, uh, favorite movie of all times which uh, has quite a a poetic title, um, is also about the human bond Mm -hmm. because psychoanalysis uh, and therapies is about bonds, human bonds. Uh, It's called, Where is the Friend's House? Oh, I never heard about that before. No, it's a very old film uh, made by this um, famous... uh, uh, Iranian uh, filmmaker, uh, director, Kiarostami. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's famous. He's um, won lots of awards um, uh, in Cannes and so on. 
various their friend's uh, house is about uh, two two little boys in primary school and w- the one of the boys keeps forgetting to do his homework yeah keeps forgetting to do his homework and the teacher says to him if you don't do your homework um you know for tomorrow uh, i'm going to suspend you and um of course the boy gets really nervous and you know this is set in a village in a little countryside village it's not in the big city one of the big cities um and uh, of course these little boys have all sorts of responsibilities yes they go to school but they also help around the house and so on so it's a very sweet kind of setting very complex lives of these children within the context of their culture and their family anyway uh, end of the class uh, the f- first boy the friend goes home and realizes that he's taken the book and the notebook of the second boy home with him mm. and then he remembered what the teacher said that, uh, to the second boy that if you d- haven't done your homework i'm going to rep- reprimand you uh, I, w- i will suspend you so what he does is he goes on a journey uh, through this village to find this friend to find a friend's home to Aww. find this friend and uh, there are all these adults that he encounters that kind of undermine his inquiry undermine his search they just say to him why can't you just wait until tomorrow mm-hmm. but of course this little boy yeah is quite anxious yeah quite quite anxious because of what the teacher said mm-hmm. and the adults can't see the point of this this journey this adventure that is going on to find the house and of course he can't uh, he can't um, find this house and of course this is set out in the beautiful scenic regions with the mountains and the fields and he goes home at night and he comes up with a very interesting solution he he has done his homework but he also does his friend's homework mm-hmm. and goes to school yeah so a uh, really really complex uh, film about emotions mm-hmm. but if you if you also look at the title of the film symbolically because words are not just words they don't have one meaning but where is the friend's house mm. uh, aren't we all always looking mm-hmm. for the friend's home yeah yeah and home as a place where yeah it's somewhere it's enigmatic we don't know where that is yeah mm. but that's true yeah very deep yeah very deep yeah but also enjoyable uh, doesn't have to be deep either mm. but yeah. whatever you yeah. enjoy yeah yeah mm. i like the double meaning yeah uh, what about a podcast you would recommend um your podcast <laughs> your, your great pod, your, yay <laughs> thank your, you your podcast uh, yes yes mm. thanks mm. I, i appreciate that yeah. um yeah we have 10 podcasts so 10 recommendations for our audience right there. Fantastic. I've looked at some of your other uh speakers uh who spoke on well-being and yes, you have this kind of the academics. I mean, I'm a practitioner, but you've had the academics who talk as yeah, well. Yeah, we have a mix of both. It's very fun. Yeah, because yes, each good. person has a different perspective. Yeah, yeah. Really cool. Mm. Now, who is your role model? This could be a famous person or it could be someone in your circles. Oh, um I know I was on the treadmill last night looking at that question <laughs> and I thought oh this is a controversial question you're asking because um, a role model yeah the first word that comes to mind is a master yeah so the mm, 
master. I mean, Lacan, Jacques Lacan has four discourses, yeah. Uh, and uh, one of the discourses is the discourse of the master. Again, um, it's uh, master, well, symbolically, and is about um, that, yeah, people that you really look up to. Uh, and uh, not just that, though, um, that it's rather than following your own desire, you kind of try to always satisfy the demand of this other. Yeah. So, for example, when I was a project manager, I always had a boss. People thought I'm the boss. Right. <laughs> but I had several bosses. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the situation uh, of the of the master, somebody who's um, who's powerful. Yeah. Like, say, um you know, um, like, you know, in a totalitarian regime, for example, somebody who's, a, who's you know, who's giving orders and, and so on. Um, and then you have uh, people who, who are working uh, for that master. But you can also have like if you're a you're a musician, you might have like Beethoven as your master. Yeah, he's, you know, the master um, for me. um uh, there are people that, uh, that there are aspects of, of the supervisors that I've had that I've really idealized. And I can say it's got something to do with my uh, childhood experiences with my grandparents, mm. that they were always so much older, so much wiser. And I enjoyed reading literature in that in their houses. Um, but I, I, I don't know if I have uh, uh, role models uh, uh, these days. Uh, uh, model uh, role, yes, there is a function. I think I really enjoy working in supervision uh, and uh, working together with my uh, with my supervisor. I've worked with this uh, person for uh, for a very long time. I've worked with him, so mm. yes, um, he's good. Mm. Okay, that's <laughs> that's good. There's one person. Okay, final question in this part: What is a course you completed that left a really strong impact on you? Um, that's really difficult uh, to say. Um, You've taken so many courses. So many I've had to do. Uh, well, okay. Um, I did a master's before I do a master's in psychology. I did a master's in, in journalism and I got to do my own um, thesis uh, topic. And I did an investigation on um, cultural issues impacting um, media freedom in the context of a uh, of a country that I had to pick and I picked Afghanistan at the time. Mm. This is in um, 2008, 2009, oh. so a long time ago when there was a kind of a uh, transitional uh, democracy, a handover of government. So it was a very interesting time. And I got to interview some really interesting um, um, journalists who were working in those uh, kind of very difficult environments. Um, so that's... Uh, that's a, that's a course that I think when you say made an impact on me, that really made an impact on me. Yeah. yeah I yeah. always remember it. Yeah. Mm. The, the yeah. conversations I had with people. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I bet that must have been really eye opening and yeah, yes. insightful. Yeah. Very brave people. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right. So now we've got to know you a bit better. Let's talk about today's topic. And we are going to talk a lot about personal growth, well-being and change, you know, all the all the big scary things in our lives. Let's start with well-being first, the, the least scary thing to talk about. How do you define well-being personally? 
Um, well, um, it's uh, I've talked about it actually um, a bit already. Yeah, um, my definition of well-being is uh, well. I work as a psychoanalyst, so it's uh, well and being. Yeah. So as a psychoanalyst. I've had to uh, do my own work to get to this point to actually keep my being out of the session. In a way, it's not about my being. My place for my being is is with my own psychoanalyst. In terms of well, 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 sometimes uh, I'm well and sometimes I'm not. And I'm reminded of a cat video that's circulating on Instagram. It says sometimes I'm lonely, sometimes I'm not, sometimes I'm lonely. And there's a meow yeah, in the video. So <laughs> it's a bit like that. I mean, we humans, we want to have social contact. Yeah. But sometimes it's not possible mm. all the time. Sometimes we have to switch off. And um, that loneliness, sometimes um, it can be too much for people. And that's a time for people to uh, to contact one of us. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that people tend to contact me when there's this kind of extreme emotions that arise in that loneliness. Mm. But also being alone, being alone can also be a space where you can think about your thoughts, maybe write, self-reflect and see what you might like to do mm -hmm. with yourself. Mm -hmm. So for me, my idea of, um, of well-being these days is well, well-being, I think, is about uh, somewhere between uh, it's 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 about desire when we're talking about psychoanalysis. Lacanian school of psychoanalysis is all about desire. So for me, there was a gap. Uh, there was a gap. I was uh, practicing. I've been practicing. Uh, I had my colleagues. I had my colleagues in Melbourne and the conferences that I was attending. But there was something missing, and that was that bit where. Uh, how do I mix my interest in 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 creating, in owning something, in transmitting, maybe mentoring, uh, reading, and also that Persian language that doesn't get used very often when I'm in Melbourne? Yeah, mm. because um, I'm in Melbourne, we speak English. Unless I get, uh, unless I have uh, people who speak Persian who want to contact, yeah, and that's in the context of me listening, not me talking. Mm. You see, in my practice, I have to listen a, a lot. And it's very rarely that uh, there's this cliche image of a psychoanalyst. Yeah, you're on the couch and there's like one or two words. Yeah, so we listen a lot. So how do I kind of, what do I do with that part of me that does uh, want to talk? Yeah, so I'm here. I'm talking. So I've got reading groups with people from overseas, from Europe and also from the Middle East. Yeah. And, and we read together. We read um, seminars of Jack Lacan. We read Freud and we read it in English, but also uh, we discuss it in other languages like Persian. Um, and recently I went to a congress in Barcelona and that was in uh, all sorts of languages, and I was listening uh, in my headset in English. So that uh, that diversity for me, and also that collaboration, is part of my well-being in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that part that does not get you stop by going to the gym or deep breathing. It's done by, you know, <laughs> this kind of intellectual uh, collaboration with people. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. So uh, you have your own personal definition of well-being you kind of 
sort of look at it from the lens of, uh, you know, the, the professional lens too, because, you know, you, you kind of go through that process and you probably observe a lot of people. Um, analysts is practically in your title. So you probably analyze um, people's thoughts and, you know, behaviors. And you touched on loneliness a little bit there. Um, I'm sure there are a lot of misconceptions out there about well-being that you've sort of noticed when you talk to all these people, i.e. your clients, or could be people that you work with and collaborate with. So to you, what are some of the biggest ones that people tend to have when it comes to well-being? That's a really, that's a really interesting question. Yeah, that's a very kind of um, social question, what you're posing to me. It's a difficult question for me um, to answer because, well, this word of uh, misconception, uh, yeah, like something is missed or there's that um, a conception that an individual concept one has of what it means at a subjective, le subjective level to be well, yeah? Somebody might thrive on doing it a 10 hour a day, yeah? I, I'm one of those people, I do it sort of a 10 hour day, but then I work, I see patients four days a week. Yeah. And then some other people for them, their subjective well-being might be that they work five or six days, but they do fewer hours in the day. Yeah. And um, it's not uh, for me to say what's, um, what's kind of to kind of impose my concept of well-being. There are some people who work better on their own and some people who work better um, in groups. That really goes back somewhere in our childhood experiences of our position in the family Um what role we kind of played, what uh, what we were in that family setting. There are some people who are naturally better at uh, bringing people together. And there are some people who split uh, groups up or split people up. That's not a bad thing. We don't look at it in a way of it's good or bad. Um, and what psychoanalysis does for you is to get to know something about your, um, the, the way you experience your world to see what, uh, to find what you can do with that, mm -hmm. with, with your, uh, with your symptom. Yeah. And how you can relate. Um, so I think, um, this, this, uh, this question of, a uh, misconception, um, I have probably not answered your question, but that's the way I uh, I look at it. Mm, yeah, it could be quite subjective. So, mm. you know, it, it depends. Uh, what you think to be wrong in somebody else might not be wrong to them at all and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So it could, be a, it could be subjective. Um, we've mm -hmm. heard quite a few big ones on this show. You know, it could be something around chasing happiness. It could be around, you know, having well-being means you're well all the time, which is totally not true because that doesn't happen. Mm. So we've, we've heard quite a few ones on the mm. show, mm. but today we're here to talk about personal growth. So I think yeah. we can probably drill down um, personal growth and learn more about some of the misconceptions over there, perhaps, because... What I hear in what you just said is the word rivalry comes to mind. Yeah. So, um, yeah, looking at other people around us and saying that person looks so happy. They're so normal. Why can't I have normal relationships? Yeah, that's that's uh, that's rivalry. 
that's unconscious rivalry. Yeah, we. Uh, what we see is uh, often so far from the truth. Yeah, that's that's observation. That's seeing. Yeah. Um, th- that person that appears normal, yeah, that's that's an image. Uh, that person will also have their own kind of uh, difficulties, and uh, yeah, so that's um, th- you know around definitions of success, for example. We often suffer, make ourselves suffer a lot when we get into these ideas of, yeah, I'm the only one experiencing this; nobody else is, and so I have yeah, to kind of. That's another one. Yeah, that that could be one other misconception too, because we tend to isolate ourselves from the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but personal growth, coming back to the story, cannot be done in isolation. I think um, you, you you gotta have. I think a lot of collaboration and reflection when you you know interact with the world and with other people to kind of gain that personal growth. Um, and I'm sure you know when you talk to your clients and and you know interview or not interview, but, you know, interact with people who comes to you uh, for their problems and issues, you probably notice this as well. For me personally, I feel like personal growth is something that I tie not with just my own self, but with how I interact with other people. You know, like my interaction today, um, well, let's say with you or with Aiden uh, in the studio here was something Mm. that maybe I enjoy and I could learn from and I would like to do more of. Or it could be something that I'm kind of like, why did I behave that way? Maybe I should look at inwards and do a little bit of you know, self-discoveries to grow from that. Maybe I can do better next time. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. you know, that's why I mm-hmm. was kind of saying personal growth, just like well-being, which is, it is an aspect mm-hmm. of well-being, cannot be done in isolation, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you think mm-hmm. about personal growth? Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree with you. It is not done in isolation. Uh, we can't uh, hear our own uh, unconscious. Yeah, um, I learned something about uh, uh, my desire when I uh, am here, I speak, you say something and then I walk away a few hours later and I'm like, okay, yeah, something is a bit uh, clearer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is is not in isolation. And this is why if I need to do more work, I have to go see my own uh, psychoanalyst as well. Yeah. Or I talk to my supervisor who is a psychoanalyst. So uh, absolutely. I mean, um, it's impossible uh, to do that on our own. Um, And what you said about reflection, uh, I give a recent example of um, contributing in a workshop. I was presenting a case and this is a case that I was uh, working on with my supervisor for for a number of months now, yeah, every week. So you kind of become quite attached, yeah, to to your formulation or to 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 what you've kind of theorized about the case. Yeah, you've you've read papers, you've talked to your uh, supervisor, you've uh, you know. Yeah, written notes and so on. And then, of course, you you bring that into a, a workshop where somebody else, somebody com- from completely outside um, your your friends <laughs> um, comment on it. Yeah. And other people kind of uh, bring in their own views. There was three of us working together to actually conduct this um this seminar or this workshop, I was presenting a case and somebody was uh, adding a review and discussion. And actually, um, it was a wonderful experience because it highlighted a 
uh, an angle that I had not considered but had always been a kind of something that I had a, a suspicion about mm. uh, that I could, uh, you could say, um, something that was lacking that I couldn't put a word word to it. And this analyst that I was working with, she kind of um, said something that uh, named it for me a bit. I felt really validated to go back to my individual supervision mm. session and say, hey, what do you think about this? And so one of the learnings was that uh, how, for example, I will end up writing some of my case notes in a way that will um, help me think about the meanings for this particular patient that or these patients, you know, with those issues, particular patient that comes and um, how, how to write that, whether I write that case note in, in a different language. Uh, for example, and that was a really, really great solution that came from that practice. Now, um, if I would have been quite resistant, of course, I've done a lot of my own analysis. So, you know, nobody likes uh, having to change the way what they're used to. So, you know, um, if I would have been quite resistant, I would have said, this is the way I formulated it. This is right. And you don't know my case. I've done this for mm. so many months. But no, I mean, if we can keep an open mind and take what we can and go back and reflect and see what we can incorporate, that's the way um, uh, I, I practice. I want to develop when you say growth. Mm. And it's very, very gradual, mm. slow growth, uh, but it is growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it applies to all of us. I mean, you with your cases and, you know, reflection on your work, um, but other people, I think for for me personally, as a person who is not a psychoanalyst, uh, I journal and I look back on my, you know, personal journey. I talk to friends about what I've been through and I kind of like use that as an anchor point to not psychoanalyze myself, obviously, because mm. I don't have that skills um, per se, uh, but to kind of, reevaluate how how far I've come, what I've learned and what I can do better next time. And I think it's it's a tool we probably all have in our back pocket, but, you know, psychoanalysis is something that is more niche. It's more like, you know, pro- you have to be professionally trained for about that. About right? the unconscious. Yeah. yeah. So so that's, it's quite different. So I think uh, as you were saying earlier in the episode, like if, you know, if people need to, then they would come and find you to kind of work on this area. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of taking it one step further. Mm-hmm. But um, when I kind of... Um, well, if you journaled and you found uh, you had some emotions or reaction to something that you wrote down, that's uh, something uh, pointing to the unconscious there for you. Yeah, something you haven't quite been able to put to words, but it has touched you. Yeah. Yeah. You can take that to an analyst. Yeah. Or yeah. a dream. <laughs> I think we can we can all be our own analysts. It's just more so how can we separate our, you know, um, opinions and kind of biases from what is actually the truth? Because sometimes we kind of don't want to change. And that's my next point. Often. We We see it. We see the problem, perhaps, and we just don't want to change because to us it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Or it could be something that's kind of like... Okay, that's something I don't want. I don't mm-hmm. ever want to talk about. I think mm-hmm. I've noticed this when I talk mm-hmm. to friends. Actually, when they, you know, when, when I share my personal journey with them or like what I'm struggling with, and then they're like, they're kind of saying, "Oh, why don't you do this?" And I'm like, 
Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. But I don't mm. really want to do it. Mm. And you do a lot of hours too, yeah? Mm. You and I, we uh, we had a chat before the podcast and yeah. you're quite busy. You said that you have multiple roles and yeah. uh, and so on. So that yeah. you would have a lot to uh, to say, yeah, and to write about. Yeah. And I don't I don't particularly enjoy writing about work. I, I think it's like, you know, more personal journey discovery but i think i kind of tried to like box work in another space mm. because otherwise it would just seep in through mm. into all of my other areas mm. which is also something i'm kind of you know proactively trying to work on because i don't want work to be in just a little box i want it to be something that i can enjoy and kind of infuse with my life mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. that's a story for another day um <laughs> coming back to the story right now i think personal growth um and talking about resistance to change, right? Mm. I'm sure you've noticed this when you work with clients. Mm. You anal you help them to psychoanalyze what they're Is going there through. all the time, resistance. Yeah, and yeah. something happens. Like I was, I was talking to my friends, they suggest something. I'm like, oh, no, I really want to do that. Mm. It requires change, especially for personal growth, right? Like when, when you're kind of doing whatever what you're doing. What is it you did not want to do? Are you able to share? Oh, so many things. to work with an example. So many things. Yes. Like, you know, um, for example... Um, I wanted to, uh, let's just say, mm. want to learn to drive. And yeah. I've been putting that off because, mm. you know, that requires commitment and mm. that requires me mm. to not like just float through my weekends. Now I actually have to like properly plan and like go to but driving you know, school and blah, blah, blah. And mm. it's it's a really small mm. thing. It's mm. not like it's such a big deal. Mm. And I know it's very manageable, but I find myself overwhelmed and I'm like, okay, now I really don't want to do it. Yes. And sure. And maybe that you live in a part of Melbourne that does not require driving. So but I do want to. You want to. Yeah, there's, because there's then otherwise I'll just be stuck in the inner inner CBD and that's where I'm always going to be. So mm. I kind of want to branch out and go other ah, places uh -huh. because I know myself, I like exploring uh -huh. places, uh -huh. but I'm stopping my own self from it because I'm just so comfortable uh -huh. right here. Yeah, it's okay. It's so, comfortable. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. So I think comfort is kind of like that you know, enemy of personal growth sometimes because it requires change um, for you to have personal growth. And I think that's just one very small example. There would be so many other things that people can relate with. So how would you offer some psychoanalysis insights for us to kind of, you know, look at this, um, for example, understanding why we are resisting to a certain thing and also addressing that resistance so we can shift away from it because we do that all the time. We resist change, even if it's really minor. Like, uh, let's say my friend who knows that she needs to exercise, but she's like, oh, it's just so hard. My class is not, you know, the class I like is not mm -hmm. on at that time. Mm -hmm. It's too early. You know, like I'm busy. So like we, we find mm -hmm. excuses mm -hmm. because we don't want to do something. Well, of course, absolutely. And we are not here to make you uncomfortable. Yeah, it's, it's, you said that sometimes it's comfortable. It's good uh, to, to be comfortable if you're comfortable when you say resistance um i heard two things one at an organizational level yeah because i have worked in organizations corporate, yeah. corporate there's always change they change uh, businesses need to restructure and mm. change and i remember it was really difficult when there was restructuring suddenly my role job description would would change or be become something quite different to what i was brought in to do and there is that expectation often from the corporate world to be immediately accepting to be immediately um, uh, adaptable and actually 
businesses, and this is going to sound like really cliche and uh, like a slogan, but businesses do well uh, that actually provide the, the, the possibility and the space for the, for the workers, for the employees to process that change to a space, affording a space where they can talk, not in a way to then respond in a defensive manner, um, uh, but in a way that uh, just uh, people want to be heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how this change has uh, is going to be disruptive to their morning, uh, you know, getting through to work in traffic. You know, and when I, uh, a number of years ago, I was um, working um, with um, big, big companies, uh, big manufacturing companies that they would, you know, bring me in to uh, spend a day in their office to, um, that there were people that uh, were transitioning to other roles um, and also even with redundancies and is a very, very big, big change for people. And yet there is this expectation that you're not going to be upset, that you're not going to feel resistant. Yeah. It's, um, it's kind of a madness, really, because uh, us humans, we are not as advanced as we think. And yet now there is AI, mm. there is all this technology around us that's far more advanced mm-hmm. than, uh, than us as humans. Yeah, we still kind of look more or less the same as and are in a way yeah a few hundred years ago yes of course i mean it's lovely that we have modern medicine now and we don't die from certain diseases that people died 20 years ago or 40 years ago but really more or less i mean i i look the same Mm -hmm. to you know civilization from a thousand years ago people had fathers and mothers and um you know um, so uh, biologically, if you want to look at it, we are not as humans that advanced. We still need to speak. And this is what I like about my profession. It's still very down to earth. Mm. I still handwrite a lot of my notes. Yeah, I've. it's funny because in my previous field, it was all about technology and <laughs> IT. Yeah. And I've kind of flipped, flipped yeah. it on its head completely. It's completely a down to earth mm. profession, listening speaking, listening. So if you can bring that to your workplace, Mm. uh, you can really uh, transform that workplace. If you want to look at it from a therapeutic perspective, resistance then in my work is unconscious. Mm. Yeah. Is always going to be resistance present because there is always language, there is words that is being said and uh, I want to hear more that you elaborate more and more and at some point you're gonna run out of things that you have prepared to tell me yeah and that's when uh, is the part where something interesting will will come Mm. because you don't know what you will say Mm. to me next in the session there's going to be a lot of resistance there to fill that gap So with, true. with something. Yeah. And that's when something interesting we can expect to happen. And that's when people don't want to come anymore. And I say, no, come, come speak. Let's hear you speak. And this is uh, one of the reasons why uh, I think uh, one of the many reasons why psychoanalysis is more than one or two sessions in the week. Yeah. People start with one or two sessions and, you know, people 
come, um, you know, up to three or four sessions a week. Uh, I'm not saying it like a rule. Some people might stay on one or two sessions for a number. It's one by one. Uh, some, um, the object relation school, I think, requires people to come five times. Um, again, it's not about rules. It's not about these kind of obsessive rules in psychoanalysis. It is about desire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So moving away from the master's discourse of me telling you what you are required to do like a doctor. No, it's not about that. It's about desire. Me listening so closely uh, to what you say in the session and seeing what more you can say, yeah, mm. creating that possibility there. So yeah, resistance is absolutely part and parcel of mm of my work and also I think people who who work in a corporate setting. Hmm. Oh, everyone can probably relate to this because most of us started out or at least are still working in corporate. Mm. Uh, but in, in personal life too, you know, I think it's even more apparent because we, as I said, don't really want to change, even though we know that it's important. Um, so I think I know that from research, apparently, a big part of psychoanalysis involves speaking and exploring unconscious patterns and motivations mm. to kind of help us to go through that kind of, you know, work through that resistance per se, um, and to kind of help us to grow as individuals. Mm. So how does that work with individuals that you've worked with so far? Mm -hmm. Yes, I mean, what, uh, what really stood out, stands out in what you uh, put to me, uh, you, you say pattern. Yeah, when, when I think about pattern, I think about a, a kind of a Persian rug that I have in my office and it's got patterns on it and it's, um, you know, exactly the next tile that's going to follow. Yeah, it's a shape that repeats exactly yeah. And there is that, if I can say this misconception about psychoanalysis. If we are saying that psychoanalysis is about the unconscious, then it's, um, it's not just repetition and it's not just reducing it to a pattern, because that would kind of uh, reduce the work to something that is then expected. Then you come in, you, you know exactly what you're going to say in this session, how it's exactly going to go, what time exactly the session is going to end. Um, so actually, anxiety or resistance comes when you don't know. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's what makes the work interesting. That's what creates the possibility for, for something to change. This, this idea of a pattern, yeah, it's, I, I don't think it's so much of a pattern, but more that there is something that you start, that you start with, and then you say more in the session, and then you don't know what you're going to say. And that's the, I ask people to, to come and use the Freudian way of uh, free association. This word free, yeah, it's so controversial because um, there's nothing for free. You have to pay. Yeah. And is not that free to speak mm -hmm. freely. Yeah. So not only you pay, but also you have to give up. You have to give up something. Uh, yeah. You have to give up words. You have to give more and more words. You have to put your experience into words. And that doesn't, is not so free. Um, and so this idea that this freedom, this idea that you can choose freely in your life, whether you want to kind of 
say embrace this change, stay in this company or move or go somewhere else. Um, a lot of our choices are dictated because of the unconscious, because of these relationships, these idealized relationships we've had with our people that we really admired, that we loved. Yeah. So my boss, I don't have bosses, but I'm using an example. Say if I had a boss and I really unconsciously admired some aspect of this boss, I might say everything. Uh, yes, to everything that he or she uh, says to me, even if it makes me miserable. Mm. Yeah. And I don't know then why I'm miserable. Mm. I say, oh, this, they're making me miserable. I'm working so many hours a week. But then if I have done that work, yeah, in the session where it is so difficult sometimes for people to free associate, but you work through your resistance anyway, mm. to keep working, to keep working and saying, no, you start to recognize your re limits mm. And then you won't feel so guilty or so bad or so shameful or that you can actually then you won't have those affects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the anxiety and so on. You can clearly then say, hey, I really enjoy uh, working here mm -hmm. or having this conversation. But uh, today I, uh, I have to go home at five o'clock. But if you need me, I can do a bit more. Tomorrow maybe we can, you and I can meet earlier. Having that mental flexibility, mm -hmm. yeah. When there is flexibility, of course, there's the opposite of that too, because of the unconscious. There's also a lot of resistance that you would have had to actually confront and work in your own treatment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, then there is a possibility to to be flexible. Mm. Yeah, very true. So before we move on to something more practical, would there be anything else in this part, you know, with the, the lens of a psychoanalyst you would like to mention? Um, because we're talking about personal growth. We're talking about change. Mm. There, I think there are so many different examples out there and each individual is unique. Mm -hmm. So if there's, you know, perhaps there are some universal insights you can offer before we move on to Uni something. Universal. Mm. Universal. Yes, uh, perhaps I can say, uh, don't ever expect that you can understand what uh, anybody's uh, saying to you. Mm. If you, if somebody's speaking with you and you think that you understand, mm. perhaps you can suspend that and mm. uh, wait and see if you can hear some more. Because I have my own experience mm -hmm. uh, of, of a word yeah. and you have your own experience and life and associations to that word. Yeah. True. So for me to immediately assume that I understand what you're saying is, is not possible. Mm, very true. All right. Uh, let's talk about something more practical now. Let's go into our practice experiment. Um, I think again, this is very personal. I don't think we can offer one solution to everybody. Um, but if you were to share one practice that can help to foster personal growth, what would that be? Um, yes, it's a difficult question. Yeah, I had to... Uh, Maybe something you do personally. That's, yes. Um, what I would recommend is uh, we live in these kind of fast-paced lives mm. where we're moving from one thing to the other and after it's you know this uh, session i'm you know uh, catching the uber and going to my practice and i have a you know um, a supervisee and then a patient and then the next the next and then i'm expected that late at night i'm supposed to just fully fall asleep 
that's impossible. I haven't had any time to to think or process for myself. Yeah. yeah. So I really enjoy during um, my midday break or lunch to have my headset on. And it's not like that every single day. It's not a practice that I'm preaching or saying you have to do it this way. But having some kind of time where I listen to my favorite music and it's pop music. Don't ask me to tell you what. It's just pop music Um, and listening to it, uh, having my uh, lunch or food or going for a walk and actually recognizing uh, my thoughts, not pushing them away, not saying I don't want to have thoughts or that thought makes me uncomfortable. Um, Psychoanalysis works with thoughts. Yeah. Asking you to say the thoughts, you know, people come and are used to saying I'm angry and she made me angry and that made me angry and he he upset me. No, but what are the thoughts that came for you when you were having these experiences? Yeah. So it's a different kind of framing and orientation really of, of you coming and speaking about your thoughts. And a lot of people don't realize they have thoughts. They think they just uh, have feelings mm. and sensations. But even with the bodily experiences, if you have stomach ache, yeah, you will have thoughts that are going through that you're attributing to this physical discomfort that you're having. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this kind of uh, cliche idea of the mind and the body is very much the case with psychoanalysis. I mean, it, psychoanalysis was invented by Freud around the symptoms that the women were having at the time, mm-hmm. 130, 140 years ago, because of these bodily manifestations of their symptoms. Sure, we might be seeing less of that now, but we are seeing it maybe also differently, manifested differently, yeah, in uh, sort of stress affects the body in a particular particular way. So really recognizing your thoughts um, and mindfulness, but mindfulness really in that sense of recognizing uh, and and listening to your thoughts and seeing what is uncomfortable. Yes, journaling, writing and looking at your thoughts. And if something there makes you very uncomfortable that you are curious to know more about, then why not come and go and talk yeah, with some, some professional. And I wouldn't recommend necessarily friends. We are different from your friends because, um, and it's, I wouldn't say it's just that we don't judge or that it's safe. Of course, it is those things. But that uh, an analyst, I don't make suggestions. I don't tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I listen in a very different way. It's the listening that makes the difference. Yeah. That you can actually then do something with, with what emerges in the session. Yeah. Cool. Mm. Thank you for that. Now, let's go to open mic and talk about you. Um, obviously, you're passionate about a lot of different areas, I think, based mm. on your professional background and Mm. educational background. Um, So I'm wondering for today, um, what it is that you're passionate about and you would like to share more with our audience? I'm not going to be surprised if you talk a bit more about psychoanalysis. (laughs) Could be another topic completely, but yeah, the floor is all yours. Take it away. I think um, if I can say um, being curious about, um, being curious about what we hear and and not stopping at a kind of a uh, a name or a kind of a social construct say um you know i start with our own names um our own name um has meanings i mean somebody would have given us a name right 
and I can give the example of my own name. Um, when I was growing up, and uh, th and this relates to your question of the ego and the I. You 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 had a question there about what is this idea of the self? Yeah. Um, when I was a little girl, uh, I was before even primary school and entered uh, primary school. Um, my name in Persian it means unique. Be ta without one like unique and so I had developed this uh, idea about myself that anytime anywhere I'm anywhere I have to create something unique I have to be very different I have mm. to come up with an original idea and this I this word of have to I should I must yeah was a huge huge uh, demand on me yeah. was so difficult mm. can you imagine uh, to to be creative all the time yeah. Right. It's a lot of pressure. So in primary school, I was super slow with doing assignments. And, um, you know, if I was given an assignment with a, with an open title, say, you can write an essay about anything you like. Yeah. God, um, that was uh, that was quite a task because then I would try to come up with something original. And yes, by the end of it, it was something perhaps interesting, but also it's difficult to be interesting all the time yeah so in terms of what i'm passionate about or what i'm talking about uh, these days i think um uh, try to be i try to be less passionate and put my passion into doing uh, more work in the sense of um yeah record if we can recognize what our uh, what uh, what our identifications are what is it that has brought us here today that this uh, this idea of the this image that we have constructed uh, for ourselves yeah if i can make a reference here a theoretical reference to this um, theoretical concept that jack lacan developed called the mirror stage yeah it's around this development uh, of this idea of this coherent self, yeah? So the infant, the small child, looks in the mirror and sees an image of themselves, sees an image, a reflection, yeah? And our bodies, our experiences are fragmented. They're all over the place, yeah? But this infant sees a whole body and thinks, oh, that's me, yeah? And there, there are other caregivers, other significant uh, people, parents, yeah, around the child who enforce these identities, yeah. Uh, the child gets told, yes, you are beautiful, yeah. And yeah, I think, oh, yes, I'm beautiful. I'm going to go and become a performer or that that if that um, if that identification is actually then um, that identity, if then I'm put into music lessons and if I actually do have as a child a desire to pursue music or to pursue writing. For me as a child, it was um, it was writing. My mom was always giving me literature. Uh, mm. There was literature everywhere. She really encouraged me to read. And it's funny, my very first experience with literature was that I was extremely resistant to it. I think because she said, here, read this book. And I said, no. <laughs> and what she did was very clever. She said, I just put it here. You can read it. You don't have to read it. And as soon as she left, I went and picked up the book. So. Um, 
Yeah. And so now I'm interested in writing. Yes, I practice clinically, but I'm also finding my sublimation mm. in 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 writing. There is something that writing does for me that um, uh, that uh, some something else might not do, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So that maybe that's you can say passion. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Beautiful. Thank well, you. thank you for sharing that. Uh, we've loved having you here. And I think it's been... I think for me, it's been eye-opening listening to your perspective from a psychoanalysis point of view, because it's very different from, you know, talking about personal growth as you would do, you know, with everybody else. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's been the highlight of the day for me, for sure. Um, and, you know, we appreciate you being here in the studio. As I said before, it's rare that I have guests in Melbourne. So this is really fun for me. You have been listening to Doing Well, the Wellbeing Science Insights podcast produced by the Wellbeing Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 Life Management Perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other podcasting apps available on your devices. If you enjoyed this episode, Please rate, share, and subscribe to our channel so that other people can find it and we can continue to provide quality content. More of our work can be found on our website, we.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Lungo. Thanks for tuning in.